Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about a subject that I could go on and on and on about for hours, but it is a critical subject, and it is far-reaching spiritually in your lives, but it is physically pervasive in this country, and that has a lot to do with the use of drugs to deal with trauma and to deal with depression, and to deal with anxiety, and to deal with stress in our lives, and all sorts of things. And these drugs are mind-altering, and we talked in an earlier show about some of the other things that are mind-altering, such as in the media, your uh, neuroimaging studies that uh, have shown that the media, the use of certain words, uh, I'll read it right out of the study, uh, shows that exposure to various negative words and visuals and stimulus factors can have a deteriorating effect on the brain. Fear has a deteriorating effect on the brain, as does the threat of tyranny, fascism, terrorism, war, financial collapse, catastrophes, outer space threats, and all the engineered fears and glooms the corporate media and Hollywood regularly bombard us with today. These actually alter the way in which your brain functions. Where you can, you know, you see the, was the rock shot test where they show you ink blots and they'll see what, you know, your your mind will automatically turn them into uh, certain images that will stimulate you to think in a particular way or mention a particular thing. You know, look at the spot and what do you think? Look at the spot, what do you think? This gives you an insight into what the patterns of your mind already consist of. And so by you know, like, for instance, a, a bird in the nest hears the song of its mother and the chirping of its mother and the sounds of its mother. They are recorded in that bird forever. That that bird is uh, hears those sounds and it makes an actual recording in the mind of the bird so that that bird remembers that forever. Subtle little distinct differences between their mother and others, like in penguins, they they can tell what, of all the penguins you just hear, rah, rah, and but the babies know, oh, that's my mom way over there. They can tell, distinguish these subtle differences. The reality is, is that your brain in many other areas works the same way. That certain patterns of behavior are created in your mind and repeated over and over again by you, by any external stimulus that will actually touch that off. We've talked about it, those buttons in you. Say a word and you think a thought. Say a word and emotion comes. 
show you a picture, show you an image. And you are literally being hypnotized by the world around you, mesmerized by the world around you. And it's it's done time and time again. And, and in the earlier show, I mentioned that, you know, I finally saw a movie, Weathering Heights. I'd always wanted to read the book, and I was always interrupted by life, so I never got to read it. But I kept hearing about it. And people say, oh, so depressing. And, of course, it is depressing. It's about somebody who becomes angry because he's abused. And he sets up a pattern of resentment and anger. He thinks he's betrayed, and he goes through his life angry and resentful, unforgiving, and is trapped in this cycle of hate and anger, destroying lives after life, but finally defeated by someone who does not hate him. He tried to hate two people, and they, they ended up not hating each other, Anyway, they overcame his hate so that his hate had no more power. He he thought he could destroy their lives, but he couldn't do it anymore. And he finally, he ended the cycle of hate because he forgave. And which is why Christ says, forgive so that you may be forgiven. Because if you don't, you end up in this cycle. But we do it in many subtle ways. I mean, obviously, you know, somebody, you know, steps on your toe or, or does something really mean to you. It's, it's an earmark thing. But you do it in much more subtle ways where somebody just pushes you off balance just slightly. Slight little injustice, slight little perception. You know, when you sit, sit there and you watch things going on on the TV and you see your government, say, doing things that you don't agree with doing things that make you upset. Those guys in Washington or wherever it is, you know, in London or it doesn't matter what country you're in. And you you get angry at them and you curse them in, under your breath. You don't have to use bad language, but just you're mad at them. You're setting up a pattern of thought and behavior. You're being locked into a pattern of action and reaction and reaction and action. You are being sucked into a whirlwind that makes you a slave. And that's why, you know, curse not the king. You know, it talks about that in the Bible. Forgive that you may be forgiven. Because it will suck you in. And and we've talked about it before. I mentioned the book uh, Billy Budd and Claggett and Billy Budd and Claggett had to make Billy Budd angry even at the cost of his own life he had to bring Billy Budd into this cycle but Billy Budd was really free from all that eventually because he forgave everybody and it it, it brought trauma I might have wrote the end of the book a little different but it was a hopeless time and so it was a hopeless ending but this cycle that is created by hate and anger and fear has to be dealt with on the level of forgiveness. And you know, we'll tell you a story probably in this show uh, towards the end. Uh, but I want to set the scene a little bit more. Uh, some people think ignorance is bliss, but it actually isn't. You you really want to know what's going on, and it. it because the same thing goes on at many, many, many different levels. And once you understand the precept upon precept, then you have 
and and you understand when I say understand, I'm not talking about just understanding it intellectually, but know it in your heart and your mind. There was a German psychologist, Emil uh, Kraplin, and he was the first to distinguish between manic depressive illness and dementia. And uh, this was back in the late 19th century. And he talks about variation in moods and energy levels have been observed as a part of the human experience since the time immemorial. The word melancholia, an old word for depression, uh, it, it has this uh, origin of mania originated in the ancient Greek, malus, meaning black, and akole, which had to do with your bile. And they're talking about black bile and yellow bile. And because they they were beginning to recognize that there was this chemistry involved in the these manias. And of course there is. But what came first? The chemistry or the mania? I mean, you know, the chicken or the egg? Is your is your chemistry changed by your thinking? Or is your thinking changed by your chemistry? Well, actually, it's part of a cycle. And you the cycle is evolving and revolving. If you take a drug to counteract depression, your brain and your body is going to produce or change the chemistry of your body to counter this invasive substance. And they will have to up your dosage. They will have to change drugs. Because your body is trying to counter that. It is creating a war inside you. And they think they have to do this. They imagine it based on, you know, um, this psychiatrist and, and other, uh, uh, Jean Etienne, uh, Dominique, uh, what is it, Escoro, um, uh, who began to think of these monomanias and they got all kinds of lists and names and uh, uh, about mental illness because they studied it and they've got degrees of knowledge and and they they go on and on about you know what's really going on in the mind and the fact is is that what is going on in the mind is also going on in the spirit and you're being caught up in revolving cycles. This term manic depression reaction appeared uh, in the first uh, American Psychiatric Association Diagnosis Manual in, in 1952. Influenced by uh, a legacy of Adolf Meyer who had introduced the paradigm illness as a reaction of biogenetic factors to psychological and social influences. So he's talking about a biogenetic factor, factors to uh, psychological and social influences. Social influences, that's your environment, is affecting and triggering things. See, so this is already showing that there's a cycle. There's a biological factor, there's a psychological factor, and there's a social influence. All you have to do is disrupt one of those and you disrupt this cycle. But you don't want to just disrupt it. 
You want to disrupt it in a righteous way that produces fruit, that actually produces growth. They talk about dipolar disorders and uh, uh, dipolar uh, affective disorders and manic depressive disorders and manic depression and uh, psychiatric diagnosis and mood disorders. Uh, they have all these different higher levels and lower levels and, and er- erratical uh, and impulsive and all these different things. But And it talks about four people experience some, uh, 4% of the people uh, experience some sort of characteristic symptoms of some points in their life. And the problem is, is that if you put those people on drugs at that point, can they get off the drugs? Are the drugs habitual? Uh, it is pervasive in this country, the use of all these different drugs. We've already done a show showing the correlation of this and the school shootings and, and everything. And it is amazing to study the minds of the people uh, as to what is really going on and their perception of what is really going on in the world today as far as these drugs are concerned. They may indulge in substance abuse, particularly alcohol or other depressants, uh, cocaine, other stimulants, and sleeping pills. Their behavior may become aggressive, intolerant, or intrusive. They may feel out of control and unstoppable or as if they have been chosen or uh, are on a special mission or have some other grandiose delusion. and this is all part of this hypomania uh, process that goes on in the minds. And are we dealing with the problem or are we making it worse? Are, are we covering it up? Like, you know, if you put a bandage on an infected sore without dealing with the infection, it is likely to get worse. So... You know, it, we mentioned that it was uh, biogenetic, and so there's been genetic studies have suggested that uh, chromosomal regions, uh, candidate genes appearing to relate to bipolar disorder development, but the results are not consistent and often not replicated. So there really is no evidence that this is genetic. I will admit that the sins of the father are visited upon the sons. But they're only visited because, and, and, you know, even if you were born of a father and immediately taken away or never, ever saw him and raised in a completely different family, there will be genetic tendencies. And, you know, just like, you know, some people, you know, will inherit muscles in their body so that they can run faster because they have a long uh, genetic line of fast runner people in their family. Uh, you know, we have long legs in our family. Other families have short legs. And so these genetic factors are going to show up physically. They are also going to show up as factors in our mental capacities. But they do not condemn you to bipolarism or insanity or manic depressive. Because it, right from the get-go, it, it was talking about these... Uh, social influences, the environment having an effect. 
Which one has more? Well, it depends on how you are dealing with the problem. Because your, the, the social factors, the, uh, you know, what, what choices you make are going to make a difference. Environment. Evidence suggests that environmental factors plays a significant role in the development of and course of bipolar disorder and that individual psychosocial variables may interact with genetic disposition. Absolutely common sense. There's very consistent evidence from the perspective studies that recent life events and interpersonal relationships contribute to the likelihood of onset or reoccurrence of bipolar mood episodes. So, while they can't prove any genetic connection, although I believe that sometimes there is a proclivity created by genes, it is clear they can prove that it's environmental. A third to half of the adults diagnosed with bipolar disorders report traumatic abusive experiences in childhood which associate an average with earlier onset, worse course, and more co-occurring disorder. So, yes, environment has a great deal to do with it. And more so because they're just marking traumatic events. That's major traumatic events. There's all kinds of minor little traumas. You know, I can still remember, you know, a movie I saw as a kid that was very scary. I can still remember every girl in in the theater screaming. <laughs> that was a traumatic... The, the movie wasn't half as scary as all those girls screaming at one time in the theater. The, these things make a mark in your mind, especially at a young age. You can be traumatized. Birth alone is a trauma. Uh, talks about prevention of bipolar has focused on stress, such as childhood adversities of uh, highly conflictual families, which, although not diagnostically specific, causal agents for bipolar, does place genetically and biologically vulnerable individuals at risk. So there will be some that will be more inclined to be affected by these traumas. And uh, we'll tell the story, I'll tell the story about this young boy who was uh, really a handful, a real candidate for drugs. But he wasn't cured by drugs. He was cured by ice cream. Cool, huh? Uh, not really ice cream. I'm not promoting the use of ice creams. But I'll tell you the story when we, we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. Let's take a look, though, at diagnosis. Diagnosis is based on self-reported experiences of an individual as well as abnormalities and behavior reported by family members, friends, and coworkers. Often, families and friends don't see anything but the most abnormal because people have a way of adjusting their behavior in front of other people. Self-reporting is absolutely an insane approach to figuring out the problem because our greatest problems we don't face to begin with. We're not going to report them. We're not going to tell. You're not in a confessional. It, it takes years sometimes to, of building trust to drag out things that a person is just not going to self-report. And yet we have psychiatrists and nurses and social workers and, and clinic psychologists diagnosing people based on a visit. 
a short-term visit and prescribing drugs that they don't understand the long-term effect of, and which we'll, we will go into before we're done. And some of these, uh, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Yet, because men have a degree of knowledge, they're going about doing this on a regular, regular, regular basis that is absolutely lethal to our society. We are creating a drugged society. They talk about light therapy is one of several approaches to treating bipolar disorder. No one method is universally successful and most persons suffering from the illness need several forms of support. Light therapy. Remember what I told in, um, I guess it may have been in a previous show about the Japanese 700 children went to the hospital with, uh, uh, I mean, severe trauma. I mean, convulsions, everything, because they watched a cartoon on TV. The cartoon aired, and over 700 children nationwide actually went to the hospital. How many more were affected that didn't go to the hospital, that didn't sleep that night, that had nightmares, that had all kinds of problems? From watching simply the flashing lights on a cartoon, that somebody just drew up, didn't realize. They thought, well, this will be really exciting. It was a very popular show. And kids were actually falling on the ground in a coma and in convulsions just from watching, you know, a couple minutes of this cartoon. That is powerful. And that we're talking just flashing lights. And so they're talking light therapy. But people don't know what they're doing because they're trying to fix the internal by fixing the external. Now, there is a place for changing the external environment. But if you don't realize that the problem is internal, that there's an internal spiritual process going on here, you're not going to really solve the problem. You will probably, and in most cases, this is what we see, create another problem. And that's what people are doing. They're playing cards. They're switching one problem for another problem that they can deal with. And I have another wonderful story it's actually a horrible story, but it's a very wonderful in illustrating the problem. That is about personal experience. I can give you dozens and dozens of personal experiences. There are other people that do this day-to-day as a regular living, but being in the ministry, we deal with people with these kinds of problems. Just being around for the many, many, many decades that I've been around, I've seen this over and over again. There is a solution. And it's not about drugs. It is what Christ preached. And we're going to bring some of the abstract ideas in Christ's teaching forward to apply them in everyday life before we're done. But we're going to look at this problem because it has become pervasive and it is setting us up. And it's not just the hard drugs that we see being used and this cognitive disruption that is coming about and uh, in the whole of society. But there are lots of sources. This is why I'm mentioning things like this cartoon that came, subliminal information that comes, uh, these uh, autonomic stimulus, the uh, stimulus by words and fear. Fear creates a great drug. Um, Hormones, huge drug, drugging society. And these drugs are not only coming in because of, you know, they're in your water, they're in your food, 
They're in your medicine cabinet. But they're also being produced by you because of your diet, your general diet, uh, your sleep habits, your uh, attitudes towards what you see. Because one person see this and they'll have one reaction. Another person see the same thing. They have another reaction. How do, does one prepare oneself to become above and not vulnerable to all this external stimulation? Because if you can't rise above that, you cannot be free. You are not going to be free souls under God. You're going to be subject to the world, the flesh, and or the devil. Probably and the devil. Because the devil is manipulating these things. This is bringing this about. And we are on a precipice without frightening you. But there is a solution. A great mental precipice in the world today. But we'll tell you more. And we'll talk about some of these stories when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about depression. We're talking about a drug society. We're talking about all sorts of drugs that are not only produced in pharmaceutical industry, but also produced in our own bodies. The greatest chemistry factory you're ever going to know is yourself. Your body is constantly producing chemicals. It is constantly running itself based on uh, some of the most complex chemistry known to man. And it go, all goes on in your body. And things that you see, things that you eat, things that you smell, turn that chemistry on. Uh, one of the things that the perfume manufacturers were always making perfume that was supposed to make a woman more attractive because she has this perfume in it. It draws the attention of the man. I mean, that's why, I mean, there was a time maybe when they put perfume on just to cover up the stench because nobody was taking baths. But there's actually the idea is to stimulate the man. And I'm not sure why men put on aftershave, but maybe that's the same thing too. But the the point is, is this, uh, studies have shown that I think it is the smell of, if I got it right, caramel. Uh, does more to stimulate the man's mind than any other perfume. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what that means, but I always thought that was interesting. The smell of caramel uh, stimulates uh, uh, the thinking of a man and arouses his interest almost more than any other odor. But the point is, is that your body is this chemistry factory and there are all sorts of things uh, affecting it, and today in modern society, as well as way back at the time of Christ, because we told the story of the uh, one of the first martyrs of the church uh, was a dentist who was accused of practicing medicine without a license, because people were going to him because he was actually healing them with his touch, and they wanted to, they didn't want him going there. And it's interesting that the university there in Bergamon. Uh, had a symbol that was almost identical to the modern AMA symbol of the stake and the snake and everything, which actually to some degree comes from the days of Moses. It really doesn't. The, the object that Moses had that is described there 
didn't really look like what the paintings show. And that's another whole story in itself. We'll have to get into that on another day, on another show. But uh, we're, we're talking about, uh, and I promised you at least one story about someone who had a severe, severe emotional trauma and uh, reaction and the prognosis was not good. He went to one psychiatrist after another, child psychologist after another. We won't get into medication yet, uh, the different kinds. And we won't even go into all that probably. It's just too complicated. We're really going to head towards solutions. And that's where we want to spend a lot of time in understanding those that are offering real solutions. And of course, Christ is the most and most perfect solution, but it has to be the real Christ and really what he said and not the artificial Christ, which is really just another drug. And many of the people that go to church and say they have accepted Christ and they go to these retreats and they they get this emotional high and everybody praying and everybody getting excited and they're accepting the Lord and they're going up to the altar and everybody just feels wonderful and it's just another drug induced reaction and the 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 drug is actually produced by the the way in which they get you to respond to external stimulus and is not really of the holy spirit and it will have its downer time eventually and you'll always be going back and trying to and it's great to addict you to church you know and and it gets you to go back and try to reproduce that feeling that you got that one time when you went up there and you keep coming back for more. You have to be re-stimulated. Now, there's a, there's a kind of a balance here because the fact you do need this social interaction. You want it to be a social interaction that cures. And you cannot cure by your relationship with other people. You can only cure by the introduction of the Holy Spirit into your being. And you can't conjure that up. But there are things you can do that would facilitate that. But there are also road marks that Christ gave us and Moses gave us to show us that we are receiving the real stuff, the real cure, the real Holy Spirit. And it's a process. Is it a process of growth? It's a process of change. It's a process of healing because of the fact that you have these engramic scars in your mind and actually even written into your body that you will go back like the dog to the vomit. You'll go back to anger. You'll go back to judgment. You'll go back to depression and and, uh, be... Again, a slave to these things if you do not find the real cure. And the real cure is not in drugs. Drugs actually acerbate the problem. And we'll show you that in probably the next show. But I was going to tell you about a story of a uh, an exceptional couple. Very small stature people who didn't have any children of their own but wanted and finally were going to adopt. And they were looking around where they could adopt. And I can't remember if it was in Bulgaria or Hungary that there was an orphanage uh, where there was a child available. And they paid the money and they got a picture. But they didn't get a picture of the individual child. They got a picture of a bunch of kids. And their child was one of those kids. And the mother picked out, this is him, this is the one, out of the picture. But they didn't actually see the child. 
until he arrived in the airport. And uh, he comes in. They they bring him in. I, I assume he had somebody traveling with him because he's just a little tiny kid. And they saw him. And he was, for the first year, he was just this, like, perfect child. And he was happy with everything. Now, you have to understand a little bit of background. That, that there's a huge amount of orphanages in the Eastern Bloc countries. And it's because of alcoholism and because... Uh, breakdown in the family. Uh, socialism has a tendency to break down families. You don't need family anymore. You got the state. And so socialism breaks down families. And since socialism is moving towards communism and totalitarianism, they don't want strong families. The last thing in the world they want is strong families. They want the families reproducing because they need the labor force, but they don't want strong families. They, so therefore, they often sometimes campaign about things like return to family values. That was some, it was a major part of the platform of Augustus Caesar uh, when he was the first emperor of Rome, which is interesting because yesterday was the anniversary of the death of Julius Caesar, the Ides of March. And uh, today is the anniversary of the first woman to graduate from a pharmaceutical college. <laughs> so, uh, different kind of tyranny, but tyranny just the same. Drugs, medicine has become a tyranny in our lives. We've become subject to their despotism. We no longer are healing by our touch because we have strayed from the ways of God. And even many of those people out there who are supposedly healing by their touch, they're actually simply robbing energy from the people that are all excited and worked up around them. And then they're channeling that energy into you. And, and sometimes they actually heal but often they are creating artificial healing. And the problem is the residue of such healing also brings with it the problems of the people that you had, you're taking energy from. And you know, it's part of this whole um, mystique of uh, zombies and, uh, and werewolves and uh, vampires where you're, you, you know, you get bit and you become a vampire. And you get bit by a zombie and you become a zombie. And so therefore you're picking up there, you're not receiving your healing from the source of life, but you're receiving it secondhand and with that comes residue. Some of the biggest healers out there, I remember one in Germany, big healer in Germany, who always used a small group of people and he actually had lots of recorded healings and everything, but all of a sudden, one day, he had pains, and they opened up, and he was just racked with cancer. And uh, his body was, like, black with this stuff. Um, and it was because of the fact that he his source was not the Holy Spirit. It was the spirit of all those other people that he gathered around him in order to generate healing. But anyway, we will talk about that later. Uh, back to this boy who was... Um, coming from this orphanage and in the orphanage they were overcrowded and it's two kids to a crib and so you'd put you know new kids you'd put them in a crib and the more dominant one would just kind of run things very little interaction with adults because they just didn't have the time and you know they cleaned them and they fed them and there was one little tiny window up there in the room that they were in for a long time and they could see out, but they it was you know underfunded and understaffed, and 
and the children were extremely neglected. Uh, they weren't abused in any other way necessarily, but they were sometimes abused by each other. But uh, which because they didn't have the parental supervision or nurturing. Okay, now he is adopted, comes into an American family who's just wanted a child, and the child is just perfect, and he's happy, and he, he's fun, and everything is just going along great. And then he's like five years old, and his one of his friends at school has a birthday party. And they don't know when he was born. They don't have a birthday for him. And he finds out that he didn't understand where he had come from. They, so, so they explained to him that you were adopted. Why was I adopted? Where are my parents? Well, your mother gave you away because she couldn't care for you and everything. And suddenly he realized that he was there because he was rejected by his natural parents. And he, this was a trauma to him. He was old enough to understand that that's what was actually that he was an orphan because he was rejected, even though these people were not rejecting him. And he was not the same as the other kids whose parents were raising them. And this was a trauma that set off a cycle that brought forward all the neglect, all the anger and depression that he felt growing up at, on a small level because he's a child in a crib. And it began to manifest itself. The cycle began. It wasn't, it had already been there, but now it was manifesting itself at this age of five. By the time he was eight, I believe it was, uh, may have some of the dates off, but uh, he actually was sometimes brought home from school in a police car. They put him in private schools. They put him in, they took him to psychologists. He became an absolutely terror. And he was growing very fast. He was getting bigger than his parents, you know, by the time he's 12, 13, 14 years old, because he was, his parents were very small in stature. And he was, they were actually in danger. They, they feared for their life to some degree. They still loved the child. And they were trying to figure out what to do. They went to psychologist after psychologist after psychologist. And nobody, could help them. And, you know, they they were going to try all kinds of things. And they finally went to one, and I don't know his name. But he said, oh, well, your your child's never been nurtured. He's He's been traumatized by neglect. And so you're going to have to nurture him. What do you mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, like, he can't go to the bathroom unless you take him to the bathroom. And... Uh, when you feed him, you have to, he has to like sit on your lap and you feed him by hand with a spoon. And you have to nurture him. And, I mean, this kid was absolutely ready for an institution with lithium, you know, which used to be called the gold standard of mind altering drugs. He was actually, you know, dangerous. And they're saying you have to nurture him like a little child, you know, uh, help dress him and all these kinds of other things. Uh, you know, within, you know, he's he's older. I mean, he's not, you know, like 20 or anything, but he's not a little tiny kid anymore. But they went through the process of nurturing him. And he actually would 
the parents were so small that it said that both the uh, father and mother had to sit next to each other to create a lap big enough for him to sit on. And they would feed him ice cream and watch TV together. And he, you know, there was some resistance to this, but he kind of went around. Asked later, I heard him in an interview, he says, well, you know, I liked ice cream, so yeah, I put up with it. It was it was bizarre that, like, it was almost like changing his whole pattern of thought. Uh, anyway, the kid uh, graduates with honors and uh, gives one of the most heart-rendering speeches, completely turns his whole life around just from a few months of this nurturing effect where he realized that he was loved. He was cared for. And they were willing to make sacrifices. They were willing to take chances for him. And this, and he accepted that. And he forgave his parents, whoever they were. And he was able to do that because his own parents, who he had mistreated and threatened and abused, kept forgiving him. He was able to forgive. Now, you've, you've heard these stories that fit this pattern. How people affect other people's lives because of forgiveness. I mean, you, you can go read the book of martyrs where, you know, the, these people are so, you know, where somebody is a torturer and becomes, after torturing a Christian to death, becomes a Christian. I mean, Paul's almost an example of that. Because they are brought to forgiveness because others were willing to forgive them. Forgive them. They know not what they do. This is powerful. This is one of the most powerful uh, tools in your arsenal is forgiveness. Charity. Love. Patience. These are tools in your arsenal in facing the evil of the world. And what you are facing today is literally that evil is mounting an army of mindless self-absorbed automatons, zombies that are massing in a collective state of unconsciousness. They're drugging them there with actual drugs. They're drugging them there with the fluoride in the water. They're drugging them with emotional states produced by uh, television and the media. They're drugging them with a sense of belonging and patriotism. I mean, how do gangs operate? They got gang colors. They're just mini governments. They get the loyalty of the people to their group because they identify with the group. We should be identifying with Jesus, but the real Jesus, not the artificial Jesus. And we'll We'll eventually talk more about the real Jesus, and we often do, but we're giving you a little break so that we kind of rabbit trail around the subject of Jesus so that you see how you can be taken away from the path that Jesus has laid out. See what's out there and how it draws you away. Fear of being sick. Fear of being depressed. Fear of being frightened makes you susceptible so that somebody can offer you a solution and you will reach out. Politics does this all the time. You're afraid and you are drugged on politics. 
you got to know what the campaign guys are doing. That's a drug. They're dragging your consciousness away. And you're not dealing with the solution. You're not even looking at the solution. You're looking at, oh, if we could only get this guy elected. Oh, only if we... But it is a distraction away from the problem. The world is in the state that it's in because we do not know Christ. And that includes most Christians. And most Jews do not know Moses. And most Arabs do not know Abraham. And most Hindus do not know Brahman, who actually was Abraham. <laughs> Abraham was Brahman. Abraham, uh, Brahman married his sister, Sari Vista. Uh, Sarah? Uh, he also married an Egyptian princess, Gahagi. <laughs> guy? Yeah, same guy. Okay, he used to live in northern India before they went to Ur, before they went to the uh, Haran, before he went out and became the builders of living altars to take care of the needy of their society by faith, hope, and charity. That is the cure for all these diseases, everything, to learn to live by faith. Faith fouls the process of fear. Faith drives a stake in the heart of fear. Faith is an armor against fear itself. But it has to be real faith. Not blind believing, but eyes that see. And this is where you need to go. Anyway, that, that child... Because of that nurturing, he overcame. So, what does this have to do with the subject that we're talking about? And I want to get this in in the show before we we go to the end of the show so that you can do a little research and homework on, uh, on your own. But there is a doctor out there. There's actually quite a few doctors out there. But there's one that kind of sticks up. And um, P- Peter Roger Bregan. And I'll spell that last name so that you can actually Google him. You'll find him on Wikipedia. He's got his own Bregan.com. B-R-E-G-G-I-N. So look that up and do a little study on him. And he has been probably the most outspoken individual on this anti-drug treatment of depression. And he has some very good approaches uh, I don't want you to make a God of him either, but uh, realize that there is an alternative. There's way, 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 way too many people on drugs. And the pharmaceutical companies uh, have gotten the power over the minds of psychiatry, for the most part, that promote this. And doctors and medical doctors just prescribe these drugs, and it is absolutely destroying the country don't think that just because you don't take those drugs that you're clean from narcotics because you have all sorts of addictions and all these addictions lead to bondage and someone is able to pull your strings and push your buttons. So we want to look at all that stuff. But I wanted you to at least have that name so you could do some look up. He wrote uh, Psychiatric uh, Drug Withdrawal, which is what they do. They get you on this pill. And if you survive the the first doses or so, it'll only last for about two weeks, and and then you know its the, its results are going to start changing. But 
when you try to stop taking it, the withdrawal is unbelievable. And I've got great stories. I'll tell you in the next program uh, that will show you how important this is. And we're talking about Ritalin. We're talking about Prozac. We're talking about Luxol. We're talking about all these drugs, these mind-altering drugs. But he also wrote Empathetic Therapy, con- uh, Conscience of Psychiatry, Brain-Disabling Treatment in Psychiatry, Your Drugs May Be Your Problem. He wrote The Heart of Being Helpful, Dimensions of Empathetic Therapy, Toxic Psychiatry, uh, Talking Back to Ritalin, um, Ritalin Factbook, Reclaiming Your Children, Healing Plan for a Nation in Crisis. Wow, I'm an American. How to live like our nation's heroic founders. That's one of his books, too. Wow, I'm an American was the name of it. Um, I haven't read all these books. I'm not selling these books, but this guy is very prolific. He uh, He's all over YouTube. Um, but there is an alternative to drugging your children. There's an alternative to drugging yourselves. And that alternative is found in Christ, in the congregations of people. Because you're going to need people who have been damaged already, addicted already. You you cannot just stop taking the drug. It, that can be extremely dangerous because of the withdrawal, because of the dependence, maybe years of dependence. Uh, you need to have help. And uh, paying a psychiatrist or a psychologist is not enough. Uh, you're going to need the support of others. That's why you need congregations of record. You need to understand what Christ was really calling you to do. You need to start walking that path. You need to start start caring about others instead of thinking about yourself and your condition. You need to change the flow of energy where you're calling people to take care of you or things to fix you and you're actually going out to fix others, to serve others. Important characteristic. But we're going to give you some of these solutions, some of his solutions, make some comparisons in our next show. So be there or miss it. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. And people often think that being ruled has to do with totalitarian leaders who rule over you at the point of a sword or a gun. And certainly, that is not freedom. Uh, that is in bondage when you're ruled by other men who rule over you. But there's all kinds of bondage. And we can be bondage to fear and bondage to uh, anxiety and bondage to depression and bondage to sin and bondage to all sorts of things. And Christ sets you free from all those things if you really understand and know Christ enough so and are repentant enough so to let Christ in. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That's what is written in Galatians 4.11. Uh, we are neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So, evidently, Paul wasn't quite the chauvinist that people think he is, and they don't understand him. They're always loving to take Paul out of the context of Paul. But, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And that spirit will set you free, even if you're in bonds now. And if those bonds are drugs, it can set you free from that. And it can set you free in an instant. But even when you're set free, there's a process to go on. One of our brothers here working at the church, he was into all sorts of drugs at one time, into violence, into gangs, and all these things. And he had an experience that brought him out of that pretty much in an instant. It opened his eyes and changed him. But still, that change is an ongoing change because we carry the scars. We may have set down a great deal of the baggage, but we carry the scars. And uh, and so we uh, we have to learn what it is to, it really means to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And we often talk about the bondage of the world and the bondage of the world system and, uh, you know, being subject to the mark of the beast and all these things. And, and really the difference between the mark of the beast and the mark of God, because there is a mark of God also. The mark of God is the top, which means faith. And it is, do we live by faith or do we live by force? And do we want to force our neighbors to contribute to our welfare? That's a form of bondage that we are brought into because we are trapped in the very net of our own making. But there are other types of bondage where we, we go to the wrong people who are not, you know, like a, I'm just amazed. There's, why are people so easily seduced by these wrong people? It's because they, their eyes are not yet fully open. And they can be again entangled in this bondage of the world. Very easily. Very quickly. And we need to take another look at a lot of different things. And what we've been taking a look in the last show is, uh, is drugs. These mind-altering drugs that we're putting our children on, Ritalin and Prozac. And, and um, you know, I, I've known several people that went on Ritalin. And I, I promised you that I would tell the story in 
in the show about someone I knew who went on Redland. And I, I worked with this individual, young young boy, knew his parents, and uh, he was failing in school. He uh, went to a public school and he was failing in school. Now, they knew we all homes taught. But uh, they didn't think they could do that because of an idea that had been placed in their minds. And they didn't think they could do it. So they they sent him to public school. And in the public school, he was failing. And they couldn't figure out why. And they said, well, he can't concentrate. And he's hyperactive. And he's looking. Now, he's not running around the classroom and everything. But he couldn't focus on the teachers and what they were saying and on his schoolwork. And so he was failing. And so they, somebody suggested Ritalin. And uh, they said that, oh, he has, he, he cannot, he has a uh, attention disorder. He can't pay attention in class. So they were going to put him on Ritalin. Well, they didn't want to do that. So they they started homeschooling him uh, with the, the school's cooperation. So he's still doing the same courses. He could even take tests there. But he was studying at home. He went from a failing grade to an A grade. He was now getting A's and B's in the same courses in the same school, but he was just learning the material at home. Uh, I worked with the kid on the weekends and um, doing work, you know, actually for his, his family. And uh, I would be telling him stories about... Uh, you know, Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar and how Augustus Caesar adopted Tiberius and Tiberius became Caesar and Tiberius's granddaughter was Pontius Pilate's wife who also became a Christian and, and telling him all these different people and, and then on to, the, you know, Caligula and Claudius and, and uh, you know, we were doing this while we were working and pouring cement and mixing gravel and everything. And so it was kind of an ongoing conversation for the whole day. Well, I only worked at their place on the weekends because they wanted to be there to help. That was the only time they could be there. And I came back the next weekend, and he says, well, tell me more about, you know, the emperors and stuff. And I said, well, where were we? And he runs off in about two minutes and a complete outline of everything we had talked about the week before. He just completely memorized it. Absolutely bright individual. No problem whatsoever in understanding and consuming and relating facts back and putting them together in real ideas, but failing in school. And then this whole episode about, oh, he needed to take Renlin and... They didn't want to do that, so they brought him home, home taught him. He was getting A's at home. But they wanted him to come back to school and kept encouraging, you know, the drug is okay, it's safe, it's used all the time. And, and so they said, well, well, we'll try it. So they put him on Ritalin, and they sent him back to school. He didn't get A's anymore. He didn't get F's anymore. He got C's. He got a C average on Ritalin. And... Everything seemed to be fine, you know. And a story related to me once, he says, uh, actually his father was relating the story. He says, yeah, when he said that when he couldn't concentrate, he couldn't pay attention to the teacher. And he says, did somebody get up to go sharpen their pencil? 
When I was in school, you didn't get up and go sharpen your pencil. You better have it sharpened before you sit down. Nobody got out of their chair and walked around. But evidently, in the modern schools, that's not the case. Because I went to private schools. But anyway, somebody get up and walk around. He says, I, fr- I couldn't even hear the teacher anymore. I would see them, or a car would drive by outside. I'd have to see that. I'd stand up to look, and I'd forget all about the teacher. And I, I just couldn't concentrate. But when I took the pill, I didn't even notice the guy got up out of his seat and went and sharpened the pencil. Now, to me, that's scary. He didn't even notice what was going on around him. He could now concentrate on the teacher because he didn't notice what was going on around him. He didn't see everything. I've got grandkids who have attention deficit disorder and they're the brightest sons, you know, not all of them, but one of them at least. Uh, he's got, we always tease him because of it and he likes it. Uh, you know, the, the, the line where you say squirrel and then you look over to the right, you know, because he's always being distracted. And we, we say that when he's being distracted to bring his attention back. He smiles and then he listens again for a little bit. <laughs> but he's very easily distracted, but he also is picking up stuff all the time and seeing stuff all the time. And uh, memorizing stuff. They have a remarkable memory. They've never drank fluoride. <laughs> They've never had vaccinations. Uh, and they're extremely bright. Small ages, reading, writing, arithmetic, um, all the time. And uh, second generation homeschoolers. But anyway... Uh, Back to the cinema. So, so they just opted out. You figured, oh, so then they would go back to homeschooling because that's where he was getting the A's. No, they decided to keep him on Ridland. Well, the plot thickens. I heard a few months or quite a few months later, halfway through the school year, this would be the second year, and uh, he had to be rushed to the hospital because he he collapsed into... Um, almost in a coma. He couldn't move. He lost control of his bladder and he, he couldn't move. He was paralyzed. And But just for a brief time, the first time it happened to him, he just fell down outside between, walking between a shed, weightlifting shed and, and the house. Fell down and collapsed and he said it was very scary. He couldn't get up. He was still conscious but he could not get up. He couldn't move or anything. And uh, Finally, he got better and he got up and he went in and related this. But uh, it happened again and had to be rushed to the hospital. But it didn't happen all at once. It usually happened during vacations, like Christmas vacation or summer vacation. Why did it happen? What, what was doing? They had did all kinds of neurological tests, and they, doing all these things, trying to figure out what it is that's causing these collapses and I I knew what it was I said it's withdrawal that's what was happening during withdrawal he would collapse and he says no 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 he said uh, uh, it it only happens actually that what did they eventually they I said it was the drug at first meaning that it was withdrawal because I knew it was only happening on vacations and they, but they didn't make the connection as quickly as I did and so they said no it only happens when he stops taking the drug and so they think because he stops taking the drug he collapses because he needs the drug 
no. And then that's when I said, no, it's withdrawal. It's withdrawal that is causing this collapse of his nervous system so that he goes into the state of, you know, where he can't move. It's, you know, he, he just can't even stand. He can't do anything. can't control his muscles. And it was the withdrawal of this drug. And nobody was making that connection. But it would only happen when he stopped taking the drug. They did make that connection, but they didn't understand. And this is what happens is that once you're on this drug and you start going off the drug, like Prozac, two to three days later, usually about three days later, you start having this fit of depression. You think, oh my gosh, it's horrible and, and maybe suicidal and crying and all kinds of things. I know people have done this. Time and time again. And uh, they think, oh, I do need the drug. Well, of course you need the drug. You're going to do withdrawal. And that's what you're experiencing. You don't need the drug if you actually come clean. I don't know about individuals. I'm, I'm just speaking, speaking in general. I know there are many people that got off the drug and never needed it again. Years and years go by. Never had any kind of episode again once they were clean. But the pharmaceutical companies, most doctors aren't going to tell you that. Because there's any money in that. And it's an unconscious conspiracy. I mean, within the pharmaceutical companies, they they know. Uh, there are people who know and understand this. But it's an unconscious conspiracy because the vanity locks the doctors in. They can't, they don't want to believe that they're actually destroying their patients by prescribing these drugs and so they want to believe that this is really good and even the parents would not see this pointing it out to them yes it's withdrawal it's exactly timed withdrawal that he has these attacks and seizures and it there's it was just so obvious but not to them because of this collective unconsciousness because nobody wants to admit admit that I've been poisoning my child because I didn't want to make the sacrifice of teaching them at home. They're, these are good people. And that was just too much for them to accept, too much for them to log away into their mind. We need the humility to realize that that is exactly what we are doing. Russell uh, Barkley, who is a Ph.D., and he actually is on the website, uh, Quack Watch, I think it is. He talks about Bregan. He says, Bregan considers children with ADHD and other behavioral uh, problems actually to be among our most creative, sensitive, energetic, and intelligent. So he, I mean, there's a typo in his report, uh, the use of medication. He, he, I don't know what it's supposed to say there, but he has something misspelled in his uh, quack watch. Uh, medication for their management to be worthy of public concern or scorn. His assessment of ADHD children, however, ignores more than 30 years of longitudinal research. Longitudinal research. What is that? Uh, ADHD, including my own ongoing 20-year follow up study demonstrating the substantial and pervasive development risks of ADHD and its related disorders of optional and uh, conduct disorders convey to a child. 
what did he all say there with his longitudinal research and his 20 years of follow-up study? He's saying that children that don't get drugs often have continued problems. He's not saying that children who get Bregan's treatment, who get the support, who are, uh, you know, receive the true love and compassion and assistance and love that they need have problems. He's just saying that children who are already traumatized in a home, neglected in a home, who don't get the drug, there's a follow-up of difficulty and that some that get the drug are better. Most children who have moments of depression in their life and difficulties and you know, I grew up with kids with ADHD where there was no drug. They survived. They overcame it. They continued and, and, and adjusted without the drug and they didn't go to jail and they didn't go to prison and they got better. The number of people on drugs today it's really, if you actually follow it up, it's terrible. It's horrible what's going on. And and I'll I'll try to get through in this this hour some of these other things. I, I could go on and quote all his numbers and everything. But he there's there's another doctor who wrote on this uh, quack watch, and I'm picking from that not because I advocate quack watch. I think that the quacks are writing on quack watch on a regular basis. But the, the quacks are outnumbering sanity people, which is why I'm saying that there's this huge army of people that are absolutely crazy and don't understand what is really good for you. And, of course, if they heard me, they would lock me up. But, you know, the, the, one of the first quotes I have in uh, the book is that, you know, strange times are these that when someone begins to speak the truth, they are immediately called a lunatic and a fool. That's kind of a loose translation of the Greek. But uh, that was that's something that is 2,000 years old. Uh, this is an ongoing thing that the power elite, anybody who questions what they're doing as being righteous or good, must be crazy because they live and wallow in vanity. He quotes, this other doctor quotes... Uh, Bregan, it says, many children diagnosed with ADHD and treated with stimulants have relatively benign problems. Often they simply daydream in a classroom or dislike school a little or more often than other children, or they may be a little bit more active and energetic than most. And he goes on to uh, the, the counter comment. From the doctor, although misdiagnosis obviously can occur, Bregan presents no data showing that this is a major problem or that it is likely to happen when skilled professionals conduct the evaluations. I can guarantee you it happens daily in massive ways everywhere I've been in contact in public education. Everywhere I've seen it in my community. I just gave you the example of a fellow who is absolutely normal. He just needed a enthusiastic, energetic, imaginative teacher. He did not get them at his school. 
he could have... When I was in private school, the teachers would look you in the eye. If your eyes wandered out of the room, they would see the whole room, and they would draw your attention back. Look here. They would... You paid attention. And I had all kinds of different teachers. I don't know if you remember all your teachers. But I had teachers that you could hear a pin drop in that school. Never raised their voice. Drew your attention. Taught you the subject. Then I had other teachers that had no control in their classroom. People were making noise. and But it was nothing like what I've seen today. I've been in these classrooms. been working in those schools. And it's horrible what's going on. Not even counting the subject matter. Not even counting the social structure in the schools. You should get your kids out of those schools. That is a cure in itself, I guarantee you. But anyway, misdiagnosis, over-abuse of this drug is rampant. Rampant. He says, given no data. He hasn't denied the allegation. He just said that he didn't give data. Well, there is data out there that there is misdiagnosis. The AMA will admit, I mean, operations going on in the medical society, unnecessary operations is rampant. You think unnecessary pills being prescribed is not rampant? They're taking out people's organs unnecessarily. They're doing open heart surgery unnecessarily. AMA admits this. You think prescribing a few pills is not going on unnecessarily? And these pills are powerful drugs that have tremendous side effects. I've been talking here for a couple hours. <laughs> um, this is not the only show we do. Some children with ADHD, and this is Bregan again, being quoted by this uh, quack doctor, <laughs> quack watch. You can go there and read all the quacks. Some children with ADHD are very angry, out of control, and difficult to be around when children have these more serious behavioral or emotional problems, stimulant medication is likely to worsen their mental condition and behavior. I actually have relatives that had this problem. And and not without cause. I mean, they had difficulties growing up. And, uh, you know, from birth, trauma at birth, they were diagnosed they would never walk, they would never see. Uh, they actually function remarkably well remarkably well with all the the difficulties that they had to face. And they're really good people. And uh, the medication actually, I believe, contributed to making it worse, making it more difficult. They needed, uh, they had pretty good support, but they they really needed more support. And the fact is, it's kind of like us homeschooling our children. When we first started, we didn't do a bad job, but we really weren't as good at it as we could have been. But we were pioneers. We were we were starting out trying to figure out how do you do this. We we come from generations that sent their kids off to school, at least two generations anyway. I mean, you go back to the 1900s, and most kids weren't educated in public schools. The point is, I I agree with that because I have seen it time and time again. But this quack doctor who says that. Briggins is a quack, says, this advice, extraordinarily irresponsible. Advice? He didn't give advice. He said it often worsens. That's not advice. He's just saying, he's making a, a statement. 
The fact that stimulant medication can calm many hyperactive children has been known for more than 60 years and has been demonstrated by many well-designed clinical studies. What did he just say? Sound like he made a viable argument against what the other guy said? No, he hasn't. He hasn't even addressed it. He says that these medications can calm many hyperactive children. It can. Uh, you know, a fifth of whiskey could calm them too. A baseball bat could calm them. I've seen a paddle calm. <laughs> Couldn't sit still, kept jumping around, talking and everything. And they got a swat by a paddle. Or in my parochial school days, as we were younger, the, the priests had a belt and they would take off a belt. Now, I'm not advocating that. Because I think that if you have to go to corporal punishment, you've already missed the game. Like I said, one of the best teachers I ever had, you could hear a pin drop in that classroom, and he never even raised his voice. These are arts and skills on raising children, and we're not very good at it. And we've gotten worse at it because we're not practicing it, because we've sent our kids off to school. Get them home and start learning what it means to be a parent. Gather together in congregations and talk about this. This is more important than the ball scores. Yes, drugs can reduce hyperactivity, but that does not solve the problem. That deals with the symptom. It makes the teacher's life more comfortable. They don't have to work at their job. But it does not deal with the underlying issue. And this is what Bregan is talking about. This quack guy goes on to say, Bregan has published no clinical studies and provides no data to back his claim. Get out there in the world. You can see it every day. Again, he goes back and actually there is data. He's just saying that there isn't any data. There's all kinds of data. Just like I said, the AMA is admitting Antibiotics are overprescribed and are causing a serious problem of immunity amongst diseases that normally were able to be treated by the same antibiotics. Same thing going on in the, the drug doctors. He goes on at page three, he says uh, that Bregan said, even the most difficult and out of control children can be helped by informed adult, adult intervention without resort to drugs. Now, he didn't say they would be cured. He said they could be helped without the resort to drugs. This other doctor goes on. On pages 161 and 174, Bregan supports this statement with passages about a nurse he met during a train ride and two experienced teachers who told him how they dealt with children that were considered hyperactive. He's not using that as proof. He's using that as an example. It's somehow or other that the nurses he met at a train ride makes it some sort of haphazard. This guy was educated in Harvard. He's been a doctor for years. He's over 70 years old. Go watch him on YouTube. You tell me whether he knows what he's talking about or not. And, I, and again, I don't think that everything he says is accurate. But I think that you need to have... A good knowledge before you put your kids on drugs, before you allow your relatives to go on drugs. You need to encourage people to see the alternative. The tech, uh, we're going to take a break here in a little bit, but I'll go on and, and read some more of these quack doctors' 
claiming that Briggins is a quack. So that you can kind of see both sides because it's very interesting how they operate and how they deal with these situations of arguing their side. He's not really addressing the issue that he needs to address in a way that is practical. Anyway, anyway, we're, we're going to take that break here in a minute, but again, you can look up Bregin, B-R-E-G-G-I-N, Bregin.com, and you can Google them. You'll find all kinds of information, pro and con. Get educated. Start finding out. And we'll talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom, and we'll try to give you some more revelations and understanding of this drug issue and how far-reaching it is. My name is Mark, and I'm from Melbourne in Australia, and I'm a minister in the church established by Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years ago. After reading the books published at hisholychurch.org, I realized that mainstream Christianity had taken a wrong turn by forgetting what Jesus said to do, to practice pure religion while remaining unspotted from the world. What does this mean, and how is this done exactly? You'll find out when you go to hisholychurch.org and discover what it truly means to love God and your neighbor as much as yourself. Join the Living Network at hisholychurch.org. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I want to go through a couple more of these critiques uh, on this quack watch concerning Bregan so you get the perspective of what the problem really is in the mindset of psychiatry today. And this can actually telegraph over into your politics and all the other elemental aspects of your society because these all have an effect on you. And remember now when I talk about these doctors who are making these conclusions and show the fallacious mindsets that they present that allows them to continue to drug children by the millions. I mean, years and years ago, when Ritalin first came out, there was literally uh, one statistic that a dump truck load of these Ritalin pills were leaving the factory every day. The equivalent of a dump truck load of these pills. And these are going out and going into children. And I, I've just seen hundreds and hundreds of cases of children that have been extremely messed up. Same kids that I could have grown up with. Because I grew up with kids with nobody on Ritalin because it didn't exist. And they they got through it. And, you know, I, I know kids that were on my block who ended up in prison. But that really had more to do with the fact that his dad beat him every day. That his dad beat him in the morning because he knew he was going to do something wrong. That his dad would stand there and wash his mouth out with soap for cussing while he himself was saying swear words and cussing his own son out. And so that had more to do with it. There are lots of bad parents in this world. There are not lots of neglectful parents in this world. There are lots of parents that are self-absorbed in this world. There are lots of parents that are just not as good at being parents as they should be. And farming your children out to public school or drugging them is not the solution. It is the anti-solution. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-God. It is anti-life. And everything you can do to turn around from that 
and and you're going to need help and you're going to need a supportive society. That's why I want you to go to hisholychurch.org and join the Living Network and form congregations of records so that you can be there for one another. Why? Because that is the character of Christ. And when you start trying to live the character that Christ, you will start understanding how unchrist-like you really have become. And it is a great it is a great opportunity for you to come face to face and repent and and let Christ grow in you. Anyway, we were talking about Bregan's statement that he says even the most difficult and out of control children can be helped by informed adults intervention without resort to drugs. So you need to become an informed adult so that you can inform other adults. Even if you don't have kids, you need to learn about this so you can share the information in a loving way with other people. But this other doctor was saying, Reagan, support this statement. He he tries to actually play it down because it was some nurses that he met on a train, as if that has any bearing on it. He was using that as an example in a book. The guy has credentials. The guy has been at this for half a century. The the guy knows what he's talking about. And this doctor's not addressing that. He's trying to infer that there's some sort of problem. He says, the technique they described are standard ones that would work with mildly disturbed children and might help but would not be sufficient to control truly hyperactive children. So he's even saying that there are methods. This is what the, the doctor opposing Bregan is saying. There are methods... That would work with the mildly hyperactive children. Mildly hyperactive children or temporarily hyperactive children have gone on these drugs and been changed drastically. Drug addicted at small ages because of the over prescription of these drugs. Way over. Extremely over in my opinion. But anyway, so he so he says that these children that it would work for mildly, but he says it wouldn't work for hyperactive, but it does. It does for truly hyperactive children. It these methods can work, have worked, and I've I've dealt with them. I've had hyperactive children that we've taken care of in this house. I mean, seriously hyperactive, and why seriously is because their own parents didn't know how to deal with them. They weren't educated in how to deal with them. They didn't know. Maybe if they took the time and were in real congregations for a while and began to look at their own problems and their own issues, that they could have dealt with them. And we're talking severely hyperactive children. And when they stayed in our house, we made a difference. We made a difference in their life, still to this day, that they can remember our discipline that we brought to them. Loving discipline. Uh, structure. Unfortunately, they went back to their other house and they didn't have that structure anymore. <laughs> and But they got to see it for a while and that alone can make a huge amount of difference. So you need to become that standard of difference in the lives of your own community. So anyway, this guy goes on to say, Bregan assumes that the descriptions were accurate. doesn't matter. Bregan has seen this. He's been at this for half a century. He's been in the business. He has done this and done this. He was using those as an example. Not because that was the only place he ever heard of it. 
So he's not assuming anything. So that's a misstatement by this doctor. He says, concludes that the techniques would work for all hyperactive children. He didn't say that they would, he said they would, uh, they would help in the cases of all hyperactive children. He didn't say it was the only thing that you could do. But the fact is he offers lots of other methods, which you can find on his website and in his books, and treats the anecdotal evidence as more important than well-designed studies in which children have been formally diagnosed and their behavior carefully monitored. No, it isn't. He has been doing this since he was a young doctor. Since he graduated from Harvard and went on and became a psychiatrist, uh, getting his degree and, and has great credentials. And some even try to say that his credentials are overblown. They are exactly what they are. They're not incorrect. They, they are there. And he's not the only doctor that is beginning to realize this. But because they're in the minority. So other doctors who are making a fortune. I know of a, someone, I believe he's a psychiatrist, not just a psychologist, who gave $100,000 uh, to a political campaign of a known socialist thinking that this would be good. But I could find you other psychiatrists who would be doing the same thing for other candidates that would be opposing. Because you're a psychiatrist doesn't mean you're going to make good decisions. That you're going to have right values. That you're going to understand the long-term repercussions. One of the worst things in the world is to be drugged by your diplomas. You have a degree of knowledge, so you think you know. This is what Christ was dealing with. You, because you say you already know, your sin remains. You, you're not learning anything new. You, you form a facade around you that you can't accept any new ideas or look at things really objectively because you've already made a commitment down this line and the thought that you are in error, that you have made egregious mistake, is too much for you. And you will sin men to be condemned. You will you will drug children to keep up the facade that what you're doing is a good thing. And it's not. I see it's not. But I don't have the credentials. But here's a doctor who does have the credentials and he says, yeah, it's not a good thing. He does have the experience. He does have the background and he's getting the support of more doctors but he's not going to get the support of the majority because they have sold out and it sold out their own conscience because of pride. They will not admit that they are making a mistake. Even though the evidence is mounting daily that they are. Even AMA records are coming out talking about overprescription. In, in 1997, a study published in the Pediatrics confirms high rates of stimulants-induced depression in 125 children who were given relatively small doses of Ritalin and Dextrodrin. Two children on the Ritalin and two on the Dexedrine developed severe, severe enough adverse effects to be terminated from the study. One eight-year-old became over-focused, extra-sensitive, increasingly anxious. Five-year-old became extremely aggressive and fearful. Side effects from the uh, Dexedrine were higher than those from Ritalin for uh, trouble sleeping, irritability, prone to crying, anxious, sadness, unhappiness, 
and nightmares. Now, this other doctor criticizing Bregan goes on and says that, oh, you know, there's only 3% were dropout rates, but others were experiencing these things. You know, uh, of the 125 children, there was a high rate of stimulant-induced depression. In other words, the side effects were actually causing depression and problems and anxiety. In, in children like five years old, I mean, this is like out of the Holocaust. They're experimenting on these children with these drugs. Because they want to prove that these drugs, who's conducting the study? They want to prove that these drugs are good. These are small doses of Ritalin. I don't know how many times I've seen people up the dose of Ritalin, up the dose of Ritalin, because it only lasts for a few weeks or a month or so, and then you need to up the dose because the body is compensating. But this guy goes on and he goes through all this uh, rigmarole and, and he, he overall, uh, both drugs were well tolerated by most subjects. Well tolerated. They say they were well tolerated. There was side effects, but he said they were tolerable. You know, minimal losses, minimal damage, minimal, and, and all this is based on what? A two week study. That's it. A two-week study. So, now, of course, from Bregan's point of view, the two-week study made his point. This guy thinks that the two-week study is somehow some good study. It's two weeks. You're talking about mind-altering drugs for five-year-olds that induce clear side effects and problems. We don't know if those side effects were because... Uh, that particular individual or that particular time of that individual, will they show up in others in the third week, in the fourth week, in the fifth week? Will they create a dependency on the drug, an addiction? They, we know that they're addictive. We know there are dangers to withdrawal. And you're giving them to small children by the truckload. And you think this is not going to have an effect. Not regarding, you know, all the other chemicals that people are consuming in their foods. You need to form congregations. You need to start finding cleaner sources of your food. Safeway is not the safe way. Buying in your grocery stores is not the safe way. And I understand that you have to buy in grocery stores, but you could be working in congregations and forming CSAs and working with a network of people. There are trucks leaving daily from places I know of leaving with pretty clean foods that people are going to a great deal of effort to do. And sometimes they're more expensive. Don't believe all the organic stuff that you buy is really organic. You need to have blessed food. You need to have a whole network of sources of food outside of the mainstream because the mainstream is extremely confused. They're given over to another spirit, a destructive spirit. And they're coming up with solutions that are destroying you. Your GMOs and your chemicals and your uh, Dexedrin and your Ritalin and your Prozac and your Luxol. These are just tips of the iceberg. Bregan goes on to say pronouncements made in the public by professional advocates to uh, for stimulant uh, paint a glowing picture about the effectiveness of these drugs. But professional reviews, he goes on, and he explains this in more detail in his numerous, numerous books. Uh, professional reviews and textbooks often present a more conservative picture, 
one that hardly justifies exposing children to such great dangers. A review in the American Psychiatric Press textbook of psychiatry included stimulants do not produce lasting improvement in aggressive visity. Um, uh, conduct disorder, uh, criminality, education achievement, job functioning, uh, marital relationships, and long-term adjustments. They do not produce lasting improvements. They're drugs. What they do produce is lasting addiction to the drug, unless you break. And when you try to come off these drugs, you're going to need help. You may need medical help. You need to be monitored. But you need to have a family and a congregation that can help monitor that. A support group. You're coming. It's just like, you know, AA. You're coming. Just because it was legal drugs doesn't mean it's not a drug. It is a drug. And it's an addictive drug. And it has side effects. And you will need help and you will need support. And you need the kind of loving, true loving, nurturing support that will help you in real not just a remote teacher who happens to have a little bit more savvy but a whole community of people and the reason why the community needs to get involved is the same reason Christ came because he came by his nature to serve and you need to be serving one another so you even though you're not going to be on the drugs you're not going to put your children on the drugs you need to learn about this you need to educate yourself you need to understand this because understanding what that true love is that makes a difference will make a difference in your life in lots of other places where you have addictions addiction to politics Addiction to fear. Addiction to worrying about the new world order. You know, that's an addiction too. You know, you, you want to get together with other buddies and talk about this stuff. Addiction to sports. Addiction to whatever it is that you're addicted to. Are you walking in the Spirit? And living in the Spirit day by day? Is your contentment? Addiction to music. Addiction to food. You know, all these different things you need to take a look at. He goes on, Bregan goes on to say, Some children with ADHD are very angry, out of control, and difficult to be around. When children have these more serious behavioral or emotional problems, stimulant medication is likely to worsen the mental condition and behavior. In another book, he says, even the most difficult and out-of-control children can be helped by informed adults' intervention without resort to drugs. And we have to be those adults, informed adults. We need to understand how this works. We need to be a part of the solution if we are coming, like Christ, to serve one another. In page 93, 94 of one of his books, he says, uh, starting with the first dose, almost any psychiatric drug can worsen the symptoms commonly thought of as ADHD. He says, people who persistently use psychiatric drugs legally or illegally for several months or more are likely to become forgetful, overlook details, lose their focus on difficult tasks, Similarly, they may begin to experience disinhibition or loss of impulse control. The earliest signs are irritability and 
unexpected outbursts of anger followed by eventually uh, by dangerous expressions of violence. I have seen this pattern develop in dozens of clinical and legal cases involving both adults and children. So he's, he's explaining that he has seen this many, many times. He's not the only doctors that are admitting this. Other doctors like Stephen Barrett, who criticizes Bragan in this quack watch, says Bragan, who states on uh, page uh, 17 that he never starts anyone on psychiatric medication, cites no sources for this sweeping condemnation of other than uh, his own vaguely described observations, mostly with people who come to him because they are dissatisfied with their treatment. Yeah, they're dissatisfied with their treatment. All effective medication, he says, can produce adverse effects. However, competent prescribed will adjust dosages or change medication and produce maximum benefits with the maximum or no adverse effects. No, that's not the case. And I have dealt with many, many people myself that the doctors are not. I haven't seen anybody who's successfully prescribing these drugs without at least the ill effect of addiction where you can't get off the drug without going through serious withdrawal. It's just not the case. It is a drug. If you have to take it to stay normal, you have not dealt with the problem. It, you, you are artificially covering up the problem. A cure is a cure. An addiction is an addiction. And that's that simple. They are addicting you to the drug. They are not curing you. You have to keep going back to them for more and more of the drug, paying more and more money, and 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 not solving the problem, but addicted to a drug. I can guarantee you, if you're hyperactive, I can find a drug that's legal that you can buy over the shelf uh, that will nullify or, or decrease those problems. But they all have side effects. So they're just trying to manage it. But they're the managers of your body. God has made your body to manage itself. Fix the problem. Problem is within you. Now, there can be rare cases where individuals have become uh, severely damaged. But I tell you that they can even be healed. But there has to be a change. If you don't want to make the change in your heart and in your mind, if you don't want to come to grips, no one's going to make you come to grips. And you probably need the drug. And we're better off with you drugged. Although drugging opens doors to all kinds of problems that we can go into on another show. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, is there's all kinds of other resources and things that you can do. And, you know, I could tell you a couple more stories that, I mean... The stories are rampant because the drugs are everywhere. But originally we started talking about neuroimaging studies uh, de demonstrating the effects of words it can have on the brain. If, if mentioning a single word can alter the structure of your mind and your thinking, stimulate and 
produce chemicals in your brain that actually changes your thinking, draws your attention uncontrollably in a direction, creates fear, creates anxiety, creates emotional stress. Just by the mere mentioning of the word, what happens when you take these pills? What happens when you take all the other substances that you're consuming? You're affecting the temple of the Holy Spirit in a way in which is not cast up. It's not setting you free. It's creating more and more bondage. This is the nature. The nature of Christ sets you free. The nature of Satan brings you into bondage. Now you see what's really going on here. You're being brought into bondage. Addiction is bondage. And this is just one example. There's all sorts of examples. Addiction to religion. Addiction to eschatologies. Addiction to philosophies. And they're all carrying with them the drug of pride. Humility. Sacrifice. Charity. Forgiveness. These things set you free. They allow you to open up your heart to receive the Holy Spirit. To cleanse your temple. You have to have humility in order to see your error in the past. And overcome the fact that I did wrong. I didn't do enough. I didn't do right. Without judging yourself. Realizing, admitting it, confessing it in your hearts and in your minds. And saying, I have left my father's house. I I was better off in my father's house. And now I'm going to return to my father's house. And start the process back. Get educated. Get understanding. Share that understanding with others. Gather with others in the spirit of Christ and the spirit of service. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.